here's um, here's the gig. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the the fundamentals of Christian leadership, which for some of you sounds like exactly what you want to talk about, and for others of you are like that is so awesome that other people are gonna do that for me uh, and lead, so I can just kind of follow and and do whatever's next. So let me uh, let's do here's a little game plan. Uh, I want you to get to know me. I want to get to know you. Briefly, I, I hope to do that more throughout the week, and then I want to talk about how I'm going to bribe you, um, if that's cool. So here's the deal: um, get to know me. Oh, and then here, let me just give you let me just give you the breakdown of other stuff that we're doing. Um, so this week, what I'd like to do is, you know, we'll, we'll take the usual break around at 10:15, 10:30-ish. Um, before and after each of those, I'm going to kind of do the same thing twice. Will be the typical pattern. So we'll open up the scriptures then I'm going to set up some sort of problem, some sort of case study, some sort of something that we need to work through. And then either we're going to work through it individually, we're going to work through it in small groups, or we're going to work through it together. And then we're going to come back and kind of process what we've worked through. Because what I'm going for this week is not for me to just sort of sit up here and talk and you to have a bunch of really great notes on what Christian leadership is so that one day if you ever find yourself in a position of leadership, you can like pull these notes out and, you know, like just change your whole life and the life of everyone around you, um, which probably wouldn't work. My, my hope, what we're going for is to actually spend some time um, becoming the sort of people that God wants to use in a leadership position so not so much this week is going to be spent just on you knowing or understanding something, but to actually begin to process and to actually begin to become a Christian leader. And you'll, you'll, you'll see how we're going to play together in order to do that. So first we're going to do some scripture, then we're going to set something up, then we're going to engage, and we're going to do like the opposite of that for this first session. So first engage, then set up, then scripture. All right, so that's how that's working. Come on, work little thing. Okay, here's sort of the, the goal statement. By the end of the week, you will have personally engaged God's work in you to become more of the leader God has called you to be. Here's, here's my thought on this one. God has invested way too much time into you already. The, the fact that you're here, God has invested way too much time for, in you already for you to abdicate, to throw up your hands and to say whatever. Somebody else gets to lead in the kingdom of God. I'm not, I'm not a leader. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not somebody somebody should follow. God's invested way too much in you already in order for you to abdicate that responsibility. He may not call you to lead enormous organizations or something like that, but you have a responsibility to lead with what you've already been given. Yes? Following me so far? Okay. So by the end of this week, what I want to do is I want us to process through what does it look like to grow and to understand and become who God has called us to be as a leader, all right? So here's me. Uh, I, I told you I want to get to know me, I want to get to know you, and then I'm going to bribe you. Um, so get to know me. I went to Wheaton College, uh, which is in the Chicagoland area, and I was an archaeology major there, which um, I thought would just be awesome because I could travel the world, dig up stuff, find buried treasure, people would like me. But the problem was, I, um, just before I went off to college, I met this girl named Amy. And um, we fell in love. And then all of a sudden, I realized, like, Indiana Jones wasn't married. 
Like, you can't go trotting around the world with, like, wife and kids in tow, digging stuff up and finding buried treasure. So um, that, among other things, sort of, I had a, a little bit of a, a change in, in what I was planning on doing. And so then, in the midst of all of this, felt called by God through a number of complicated circumstances, I could tell if you wanted to know, and decided to go to Denver Seminary. And went to Denver Seminary, got a Master of Divinity degree. Uh, with a major in leadership, so I like did nothing but sit in classes and, and talk and, and exercise and think about leadership all the time, day and night, which was great to, again, think about and study about, but I didn't have any outworking in any way to sort of um, use everything that I had been studying. Well, then that changed when my, my last year of school, I was hired on at a church, the Next Level Church, and uh, three months after I started working there, the senior pastor resigned due to a significant pattern of sin in his life. And the church, he was the founding pastor. The church was only like eight years old. However, there were like 3,000 people going there already. And it was in turmoil. It was messed up. I mean, all of us were kind of scrambling because he, he was the leader. And he was really like the only leader. And then there were sort of all of the rest of us. And after, you know, you, you can just imagine the amount of pain um, of this guy who we called friend who had this whole side of his life that he had kept hidden for so long. And then that side came back not only to hurt him, but to hurt the rest of us. And um, the, the, the guys who were on staff who were the other pastors uh, invited me to come and be the new teaching pastor, even though I was basically barely more than an intern uh, at the time. And so my first teaching gig was to 2,500 people. Uh, and I successfully taught the church from 2,500 people down to 500, and uh, we, they all left in the first couple months. Uh, it was really exciting and great for one's ego, um, but we've, uh, we, we've been doing extremely well as a church and have been really healthy for, um, for the last seven years that I've been there. So then, uh, just a couple months ago, at the end of April, the beginning of May, I retired, because as you can tell, I, I just got too old, and uh, my, my wife and I, and I'll have to tell you guys the story another day, but through a complicated set of circumstances, uh, my wife and I have been called to go to Mozambique, Africa. And so we're, uh, we're leaving this sweet gig. Um, and, you know, when I talk to my friends around the U.S., they, they know about TNL, which is the, the initials of the church, the next level. Um, they know about TNL, and they, um, they're like, so let me just get this straight. You're at one of the most exciting, most popular churches in the United States of America. You're like regularly writing for like leading journals and church ministry and things along those lines. You get to speak all over the U.S. And you're just going to kind of walk away from all of that and go live in Mozambique, Africa. And I'm like, yeah, and wouldn't that be a lot more fun? And um, it, it's just, it, it's one of those things where if you've, if you've, ever, had, uh, if you've ever had a calling that's kind of screwed you up, then you get it. And if you haven't, you can't. And so that's the end of that one. So that's a little bit about me. I have a wife named Amy, daughter Abigail, who's six. Uh, my son Jake is four and a half. And uh, my daughter Allison's three. So they're all 18 months apart, three, four and a half, and six. Uh, so here they are. I'm going to introduce you. There's, uh, aren't those sunglasses so cute? And that's baby Lucy that she's holding on to. That's sort of her security blanket. She has to have her babies with her at all times. Uh, so this is my daughter, Abigail, um, codenamed Hollywood. Um, you can just call her Hollywood. She responds. It's really great. She, she has this birthday party. I, I, want, I want you to know my family because I want you to know me because then we'll like each other more because everyone likes my family more than they like me. So... Um, <laughs> My daughter Abigail says um, for her sixth birthday, 
She's like, I want to have a princess modeling party. And I'm like, well, how does that work? And she's like, well, we get dressed up in princess clothes, and then we go and we like walk, and then you've got to take pictures of us when we get to the end of the walk. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she like, my six-year-old daughter, I have no idea. She's like, you know, you got to like walk, and then you got to like, and she's posing, and she does all these poses. So she is totally Hollywood without any encouragement from her father, who is scared to death uh, when she turns like 12. Uh, <laughs> keep going. Come on. This is my son, Jake. He's, um, he, he, he loves, he's got this, he's got this really wicked imagination, uh, wicked being the good kind of wicked. Um, he sees things nobody else sees. It could turn the craziest things into whatever. So he had the, the things on his back are, um, Bobby hats from London. And so he's put them on there and has turned himself into some sort of monster. And he's like the sweetest boy in the whole world. And seriously, easily the most caring guy I've ever met. I don't know. He must get it from his mom. Uh, this is my daughter, Allison, who's um, codename AJ. Oh, I forgot. Jake's Iceman. Um, this is a codename AJ, and she's about the most adorable thing on earth and is, like, stubborn beyond all get out, but just, like, totally has control of my heart and can do whatever she wants to. So, uh, and I think she knows that already at three years old, which is dangerous for me. So, um, real quick. Can anybody name two of um, my family members besides me, either my wife or two of my kids? Abigail and Amy, that was the one I heard first. How about uh, Three Musketeers? This is where the bribery piece comes in. See, you participate, you get candy. Isn't that great? All right. So uh, here we go. So real quick, to get to know you, I just need um, name. If you're not from the United States, tell me the country that you're from. If you're from the United States, I'd be interested in the state that you are from that's united to the rest. One sentence, why you're at YWAM, and then just answer the question, are you a leader, okay? So can we do that just really quick? I promise I'm, I, I will try and remember your names because I think names are important, um, but if every time you like talk to me, if you can just remind me of your name too, that would really help because I do want to get to know you. So can we start right here? Just all four and we'll just kind of go through and make it happen. are rewarded with candy, and um, the most insightful answer of the day gets a free book, not written by me, by somebody who knows what they're talking about. So um, what, what, is, what is leadership? What, what are some thoughts? And, and you, don't need to ha you don't need to have an amazing, brilliant answer. It can just be part of what leadership is, but what, yeah. Um, is leadership being inspiring? Being inspiring to other people and making good decisions in the right situations. Awesome. Inspiring on other people, good decisions in the right situations. Um, it's to make, oh, no, it's, it's like uh, being a good example to other people and making them feel like they are better. Cool. I just drew a blank. <laughs> no, it's um, making sure to include others, um, using um, 
and I lost my words again. Uh, just using discretion and uh, wisdom and uh, being a biblical example. That's cool. The way it was explained to me is the rudder that steers the ship. Sounds kind of corny. Yeah. But it's pretty understandable if you think about it. It kind of directs you to the right path. Sometimes you might hit some icebergs, but you got to get back on path. really depends on your positive or negative influence. It's just whether or not you're submitting to your followers as well. Um, kind of along the same lines, it's guiding people to bring out their best and pulling out their own qualities to help the group. It's a great definition. Any others? Influencing others so they can step out into leadership. Hmm. I, um, I, I mentioned that I, I studied leadership at Denver Seminary and it seemed like every prof I had gave like 10 different definitions of what it is. Leadership, leadership's hard to define. It, it, it's hard to say exactly what it is, right? But I have, I, I have one thing that, um, one thing decides whether or not somebody is a leader. So what is the one thing all leaders must have? No, good try. Influence, close. Teachability? Followers. followers. There's the answer. In order to be a leader, you need to have followers. If you do not have followers, you are just going on a walk. You are not leading, yes? If you do not have followers, you may think you are leading, but you are just going on a walk. By definition, leaders have followers. So now, all of a sudden, some of you are rethinking your answer to the previous question, if you're a leader. Because the answer, if, if I was to give the answer before, if somebody asked me, are you a leader, I would have to answer sometimes. That, that is the answer. Sometimes I am. Sometimes people are following me, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes I'm following other people. Sometimes I'm just sitting still or going backwards. But sometimes we're all called to leadership, and for all of you who said maybe you're I want to be, or if I'm called on, or if I'm given a position of authority, or no, I'm not a leader yet. I mean, you, you really are. There are people who do follow you. And so what sort of leader are you going to be? Who are you going to be as God's calling you? What sort of leader are you going to be? Paul wrote, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That is a leadership issue, isn't it? Think about that statement for a second. Follow my example is I follow the example of Christ. Why didn't Paul just say, follow Christ's example? This is back to the interaction part again. It's a hard, it's a trick question though. The cheap seats. Because Jesus, like, tangibly wasn't there to, like, walk behind, you know? Yeah. If Paul I, was there, they I could think, see him live it out, you know? I think you're on to something. Any other thoughts? Um, I think it's because he knew people would follow him no matter what, but he only wanted that to happen as long as he was living like Christ. Yeah. 
That's right, because he, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's a really great insight. If he wasn't following the example of Christ, he was giving them permission not to follow him at that point. That's a great thought. Was there something else? Yeah. Um, my thought was that um, because leadership is following the example of Christ, hmm. an example of leadership would be Paul following the example of Christ. Yeah. As confusing as that might sound. No, I gotcha. Um, I also think it's very easy to be like, oh, we'll just follow Christ. Well, how do you do that? Like, but he is showing you as a man, like, this is how you do it. Absolutely. And that's what Paul was saying. Like, I'm showing you as a man how you would be able to do it. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I think, I think it's one thing. It's one thing for us as leaders or teachers to say, here's what you need to do. And it's a very different thing to actually go and do it. In fact, isn't that one of the, the principles of YWAM, do first, then teach? thought I read that on some, some, something that was sitting in my room when I arrived. Here's a question. What is uniquely Christian leadership? Let me explain the question. We, we've already talked about what leadership is, and we've said leadership is difficult to define. Yes? Well, we've all seen leadership, and there's leadership that takes place in the marketplace. There's leadership that takes place in government. There's leadership that takes place in the army. There's leadership that takes place at schools. But what is uniquely Christian leadership? That's the, that, that's the question that I want to spend some time exploring. Instead of just sort of going off the top of our head here, that's the, what I want us to dig into. So this is going to be one of those exercises that I warned you about. So here's the, here's the drill. We're going to need to do this oh so quickly. But um, if we can break into groups of three or four, at least one of you needs to have a Bible. And if you don't have one with you, like you need to have one all the time because... I really don't have anything nearly as wise to say as what's in there. Um, groups of three or four. I'm going to put a number of verses in, in scriptures on the screen. We are taking our Hawaiian time here. Um, I, I want to I, I I, I know, what do these scriptures say about leadership? Okay? What are your insights? There will be candy for the most insightful thoughts on what these particular verses have to say on leadership. And we don't, let's tell you what, let's do this. Let's go, um, let me give you guys 25-ish minutes to do this. We'll take our break at 10.30, okay, instead of 10.15. So um, break into groups of three or four, look up these scriptures and have somebody record your group's thoughts. And remember, the recorder is most likely the person who's going to be giving me answers, ergo the person who's going to be receiving candy. So you might want to be your recorder. Here we go. Here it leads as well, but let's... Um, Let's pray this prayer for wisdom together as we try and lead each other in this process, and then we'll, we'll go through and talk about the insights that God's given us. So, Father, whatever you teach me is all I have for others. I must be wide if we're to, wise if we're to succeed, and you know I'm not naturally wise. God, too often I'm a fool, tricked so easily by my own personality, deceived by my ignorance, blinded by my proud determination to win, and misled by my logic. Sometimes my spirit is asleep or busy elsewhere, just encrusted with all my own exquisite rationalizing. God, we need your wisdom. God, if I was brilliant, if I had knowledge and strengths that I admire in so many other people, if I were a spiritual giant, I would simply ask you to help me do my best 
but my best is not good enough. Father, I do not know enough, and I cannot see clearly enough. I'm your child, and I want to learn, but unless your spirit teaches me, God, I have little to offer. We need your wisdom. Amen. All right, so we have, uh, we have too little time to be able to do this exercise properly. I hope you guys realize there was some pretty good stuff in here. So um, what I would like to do is this. We need to have the verse read aloud and then just very quickly have people tell us an insight if you've got one that you think is a home run on that particular verse, okay? Because, again, we don't have... We're, we're talking like two minutes per here, so we can't get to all of the good stuff. So somebody is already turning to Matthew 20, 25 to 28 while I speak. And at the same time, somebody else is turning to John and someone else has already thought ahead far enough to be turning to Matthew 23. So people are doing that. I can tell they're doing that right now as I'm speaking. I, I, I feel it happening. I hear one set of pages turning and I'm hoping they're going to Matthew 20. Anybody? Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What, what does this scripture tell us about leadership? Humility and servanthood. Humility and what else? Say the first part of that again. I heard that. They, being the leaders, exalt others and lift other people up. Great. Other thoughts? What does it tell you about bad leadership? They exalt themselves. Anything else that you saw in this passage? Say that again. They, being the bad leaders, are a burden to their followers. Yeah. Other thoughts? They abuse authority. The last verse was included in this for a reason. It says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Leaders lead with their example. Leaders don't just simply say, charge, and watch all of their troops run off. They say, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. All right. John 13, 13 to 17, somebody. Be bold. Somebody needs to turn there. Somebody else is already being clever and got to Matthew 23, but we need John first. Here we go. Uh, let's see here. Then he put his hand... Oh, is that right? John no. 13, 13. <laughs> Maybe the right book. Let me guess. If anybody else is there, they can go. Okay. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Hmm. All right, what does this passage tell us about leadership? Teach your, treat your followers with an equal value to yourself. Absolutely. What else? Uh, Christ calls all that follow him to be leaders. He calls all of us to be leaders. Absolutely. What else? Absolutely. Do you guys all get that? that? That it's our responsibility not only to follow our leaders, but to realize that when our leaders are doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're following Christ. So we are looking through them to Christ. Anything else from this passage? Are leaders supposed to wash other people's feet? I mean, he says, as I am doing, do for one another. We'll chew on that one later today. Matthew 23. Somebody have that? Great. Someone else is turning to Romans. Okay. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the scriptures. So practice and obey whatever they say to you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush you with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to help ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear extra long tassels on their robes. And how they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the most prominent seats in the synagogue. They enjoy the attention they get on the streets, and they enjoy being called rabbi. Don't Never let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are on the same level as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your spiritual father. And don't let anyone call you master, for there is only one master, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. All right. Lots of stuff in that one. Oh, is it still going? No, no, no. no. Okay. Good, good. Okay, what um, leadership principles? Yeah. Philippians 2, 3 came to mind. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Yeah. That just came to mind when we were reading. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we got... Do not call yourself to, uh, to a leader. I'm sorry. Do not call yourself a leader or uh, chase after that title, but take up leadership through servanthood. Because the only lead, true leader, it says, is uh, God the Father. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it talks about titles and, like, um, everything we, we do, like, ha like, every gift that we have is of God. So we must do everything to glorify him. And it refers also back in um, an earlier chapter in Matthew, like, I don't know if this is relative. Like, um, when we do these acts, like, do it in secret, like, not to... Hmm. Like, um, because that brings glory to yourself. Like, you know, like giving to charity. It's like, you don't say like, write a check and be like, look how much I gave. It's like, do it in secret. Like, because those who humble themselves will be blessed. Yeah. So I don't know if that's relative, but yeah, that, that last line, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humble. That's a, that's a warning, isn't it? What else? What other leadership principles did you see in this passage? 
Um, right in the beginning, it's like practice what you preach. Yeah. Um, and then also, it's just calling out in opposition to what the Pharisees do, that God is our master, not men. And yeah. we're doing this for God, not for men's approval. Absolutely. The, the passage, as somebody already mentioned, is really down on titles. You know, don't let anybody call you rabbi. Don't let anybody call you father. Don't let anybody call you master or lord. You know, the, the, there are people who already have those titles that exist. So um, let Christ have those titles. Now, we, we, can play with, we can play with titles a little bit later in the week, but keep that, in the, keep that in the back of your head. Chew on that one. I mean, obviously, there's a bit of hyperbole there that Jesus is using. We can call our dad dad, not just our father in heaven. There's a bit of hyperbole that's going on there. And yet, Jesus loved driving at a point and always stretching us a little bit more than we're comfortable sometimes. Don't use any title for anybody was kind of the hyperbolic position that he was going to. Okay, Romans 12, 8. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contribu contributing to the need of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern di diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Fantastic. Obviously, this is the gift list in Romans 12. Thoughts on leadership? Um, the, this thought was that, I mean, there's a leader, but that in order to build a church, like you have to have people with different giftings yes. together and contributing to build the body of Christ. That's great. So just, Absolutely. You, we can't just hone in on the one part of this passage and ignore everything else that comes around it. A body does not work unless all the parts are functioning properly, and you can't pretend that one gift is more important than the others. It's never the case. The body falls apart when a part of it falls. Um, yeah, just like what Katie was saying, um, how there's different, um, different people have different gifts. Like, same time, um, we are called to different types of leadership, um, and that leadership is always like diligent and persevering and trying to maintain the unity of the many different members. Awesome. I, I want to hit both of the things that you just said. One, we all have different types of leadership, and that's certainly expressed here. It's not just the gifting, but the types of leadership that we express can be different as well. But the second thing that you said, I want to make sure you hear. When you are leading, you need to do it diligently. Okay? I, it, it, so many, the majority of people said, yeah, I'm a leader. You know, when we were around before, and I completely agree with that. You are, you're, you're called to leadership. When you are in a position where somebody is following you, th there is never a moment's hesitation, a, a moment of excusing yourself from all diligence. Diligence, diligence, diligence when it comes to leadership. I, I can't emphasize that enough. Um, you know, it, it, Paul says it here. It's such an important idea. When you are leading, lead with all diligence. Throw your back into it. Every ounce of energy. Anyone who is following you deserves nothing less than that, right? I mean, if Christ has placed you in a position of leadership, if, if he's called you to go and do something, to lead, even if it's for a short period of time, do it with diligence. Do it with everything that you've got until you're spent. And we'll talk more later about what to do when you're spent. Okay, Ephesians 4. He's favoring the back, I'm sorry. I know the front likes to read too. It was, hold on. It was he who gave uh, some to apostles and some to prophets, some to evangelists, and some to pastors and teachers uh, to prepare 
God's people for works to service so that the body of Christ will be built up. Fantastic. Leadership insight from this passage. Okay. So go ahead and tell me what you think it says. Um, uh, In your own words. We are given different roles by him to prepare each other to serve uh, with the sole purpose of building up the body of Christ. Yeah. Building up the body of Christ is this goal. We're all given different gifts in order to accomplish that goal. Any other insights? When you think of building, there's a there's a part of laboring and there's a part of hard work in a leadership role. Sometimes there's times you have to to definitely pull things out. Um, Joshua definitely spoke consecration over his group, and I think that's a key thing for leaders to recognize is it's not going to be all like hunky dory. Like there's times that you're going to have to pull things out and labor to get this, the goal accomplished. Essentially, yeah, it's a great thought. Passage points out that there's, again, different roles, different people with different gifts in there. We already mentioned that from the previous one. Okay, let's, uh, let's keep going. Oh, you know what? One, one more thing. The, the goal, again, here, just because it, it's so worth emphasizing, somebody had a beautiful definition of leadership over here where they said that um, leaders bring out the best in their people and, and guide them to bring out the best, I think, I think was the words. It was a great definition. That's what's going on here, right? All of these people are there to guide, to bring out the best in the people around them in order to build up the body of Christ. I love, I love that idea. Okay, 1 Corinthians 16, somebody. 1 Corinthians 16. Oh, oh either way. Somebody's looking at 1 Thessalonians. It says that you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts to a case. Yeah, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these, to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. What does this tell us about leadership? Yeah. It's about submission. Yeah, submitting to your leaders or to God, like the person's higher than you, and yeah. also to your followers. Yeah. Yeah. Leaders are worth being followed. I mean, we're going to see here, we're going to see in a couple other verses as well. Leaders should be followed. Gosh, that stinks, especially the Americans in the room hate to hear that one, that leaders need to be followed. We found our country with something called the Declaration of Independence, the whole idea that we really don't want anybody else to tell us what to do. Leaders deserve to be followed. Submit to those who are working. Submit to those who have committed themselves to the service is what that verse says. I imagine, too, that the, these people he's talking about haven't been believers very long yeah. and that he's calling people to follow them. And just that speaks to us. Like, you don't have to be, like, 20 years Christian or, like, just when you get a like when you take hold of that and with diligence lead that we're worth being followed and to go for it you know does it matter how long somebody has been a follower of Christ for them to be filled with the spirit and worth following absolutely not never never let yourself be convinced otherwise all right first thessalonians Now 
Now we ask your brothers to respect those who work hard among you, who are over in you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in the peace with each other. Leadership principles. Anyone? These short verses are supposed to be kind of just obvious on the top. Simple. What'd you see? What'd you hear? Again, respect your leaders and honor them. That was not hard, yes. That was what the verse was saying. That was painful for me to get that out of you. Uh, in fact, I'm rewarding that with candy. Thank you. Person who answered the obvious. Here we go. First Timothy 3, 1 to 2. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. All right. What's this tell us about leadership? Well, it's just giving examples of how, how leaders should live their life so that if someone comes to them and says, you know, tries to question them, they obviously can't because they're above reproach because they have been following these things and um, yeah they can't say anything bad about them because of the way they've been living their life yeah we had we had this thing um, between the, in the pastors of our church where we said we want to know each other's stuff so well we, we want to be so far above approach that one day when somebody comes to us and says I saw so-and-so doing such and such it makes us want to laugh because they would be the last people on earth that would do something as absurd as what the thing that they were being accused of was. Re real quick, a story on that. One of, one, of my, uh, one of the other pastors in my church was, um, was accused by some random person through an anonymous email address that he was playing footsie with this girl who led our children's ministry. And I know both of them extremely well. I mean, it's like brother and sister to me, okay? And literally, we just laughed. Like, we just got this email of this accusation and just freaking died laughing. I mean, we felt bad that this guy was being accused because we knew he didn't do it. But it was just, it, footsie, by the way, is where um, two people who, for some reason, enjoy touching other people's foot with their foot, for all of you who do not know what footsie is, because why would you do that? I don't know. But anyway... Um, yeah, so it, like we just we laughed because both of these people were so above reproach. We, you know, and they had already said, you know, I'm so sorry this is coming. We have no idea why this happened. Were we sitting at a table at one time that our feet happened to touch underneath it and somebody thought something was going on? Perhaps, but other than just sitting at the table, nothing, you know, like they, they said this is absurd and, and we all laughed with it. That's the sort of above reproach that we're supposed to be. What, what else? There, there was another really, really important insight in this passage that I want to make sure somebody saw. Other leadership principle from this passage. The clue is it's in the first verse. It's a noble thing to be a leader. It's a noble thing. It's not just a noble thing to be a leader. The verse says more than that. The desire to be the a leader. The desire <laughs> to be a leader. 
Listen to this one. This is, this is key. There is nothing wrong. In fact, the scriptures say it is noble to want to lead people. Now, that needs to play in balance with this, with, with this value called humility, right? But it is still noble to want to lead people. Is it a noble thing to want to evangelize people? Yes. Duh. It's a noble thing to want to go and share your faith with people. It is a noble thing to want to do something like that. But it's noble as well to want to lead. To say, I don't want God's people to wander around aimlessly not knowing where they're supposed to go. I want to lead them. I want to be used in order to help them get to where they want to go to. That's still just as noble as any other type of, of leadership or service to the church. First Timothy 5. Someone got it? Can someone turn a page to get there? Thanks. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work, whose work is preaching and teaching. Yeah, I always tried to get double the paycheck for that. I did not. All right. Because the other guys didn't teach, but I did. What's the passage saying about leadership or leaders? Again, Captain Obvious gets this one. Yeah. They should be able to teach and preach. Absolutely. And they're worthy of honor. Yes? We do not tear our leaders apart in the church. We do not tear our leaders apart at YWAM. We honor our leaders and those God's called to lead. Yeah. Next, Hebrews 3. I'm feeling it. Hang in there. We're, we're almost there. We're so almost as there. the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice. Huh? That's what it says. It's terrible. I screwed up. It's not enough. I don't know what it's supposed to be. No, just hear his voice. To do not hear your hearts as you did in rebellion. I, I have no idea. I'm sorry. How about 17? Give me that one. I'll give, you, I'll give you 17. Thank you. I apologize. My bad. And with him, who was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? Dude. <laughs> I have terrible notes. I'm sorry. Is my face red or what? Yeah. I have no idea. I'll, I'll find out what I was supposed to be in Hebrews because that's really lame. I feel embarrassed. Let's move on. <laughs> Acts 20. <laughs> Someone's got Acts 20 over here. It's 13. Oh, that's great. We'll do this one live. No preparation. Remember, you leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate it. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Awesome. Consider their life. Imitate them. Did you get, did you get 17 too? Yeah. 13? 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must keep um, give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. All right. Obey them so that their work may be a joy, not a burden. First of all, you found that one. That's definitely candy bar worthy. Um, obey them so that their work may be a joy, not a burden. 
Because sometimes leading really sucks, yes? I mean, sometimes being a leader is like the worst thing on earth because people are hard. And you write down the wrong verse and that gets you all off kilter and nobody else recognizes it and so everything kind of spirals from there. Or maybe one of the people who you're leading is like the thorn in the flesh that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 12. And you're just doing everything that you possibly can in order to try and correct them, bring them to where they need to go. People get tired. People get worn out. Sometimes leading just sucks. So when we are responsible to follow, follow well. And when you're responsible to lead, lead with all diligence. It's a hard job. All right. Acts 20. Thanks for finding that. Kudos. Yeah, yeah. When I was reading this, too, the, um, they keep watch over you as men that have to give an account. Mm. And just as a reminder, as a leader, like it's very humbling of we, or if you choose to be a leader, have to give an account before God saying, I gave you these people to lead. Did you lead them well? And so if you don't, it's kind of yeah. hold you accountable. That's great. That's a powerful thought. Yeah, Acts 20. All right. Um, 2012? Please. Yeah, they took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. But we, going ahead to the ship, set sail for Assos, intending from there to take Paul on board. For so he had arranged it for her. For so he had arranged it, intend, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him to we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios, and the day and the next day we crossed over the Samos, and the day following we came to Miletus. For Paul had directed to sail east, or to sail past Ephesus, so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, he, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And, and when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how, how I was with you the whole time. Keep going. Was that 28? Oh, I missed 28. Uh, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which, uh, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I'm going to have to look at my notes. I think I did something wrong on the, on the first piece there. But the second piece was be on guard to be overseers, to shepherd the flock that I've called you. There's this continuing theme throughout the New Testament. When it talks about leadership, it talks about um, shepherds. And we'll get into that in the next couple of days as well. There is something incredibly unique and important about what the role of the shepherd is. 
and how that parallels to the role of leadership. It's very, very different than what Jesus was talking about in Matthew when he says, don't rule it over the people like the Pharisees do, but, but serve them. There, there, there's, there's something in the mix of all of that. So I, I apologize on my notes on those two. I'm dropping the ball here. No candy. All right, uh, 1 Peter 5, 1 to 6. Last one. Home stretch. All right, so exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. I know most of you guys didn't make it that far. Any, any thoughts in what you just heard? I got one more candy bar. Yeah. God doesn't like the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Yeah. Uh, the one thing, one of the things that stood out was to not lead by compulsion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's tricky sometimes when you are like in that leadership position and you're like, I just have to do these things because I have to, I have to. Right. And yeah, he actually says to not do it like that. So. Yeah, he's not talking to parents gratefully for me because sometimes the kids just need compulsion in order to do what they need to do. All right, it's break time. Thank you. I appreciate you guys slugging through that with me. We'll um, take 15 minutes and be back here at 1045. I, um, we're, we're going to go hyper interactive on some stuff and we're going to go less interactive on other stuff. This is one of those less interactive times because what I'd like to do is I'd like to open up the scriptures and do a little bit of preaching, show you, show you what I found in there, um, see if it changes your life the way that it changed mine. So I'll, I'll tell you where to turn in just a second. Um, I, I have a number of friends and contacts and things like that that are exceptionally cool. Um, one of them is a, a friend named Tim, and he works for LucasArts. LucasArts is George Lucas's company that produces everything Star Wars and Indiana Jones related. And what my buddy Tim does is he is the effects. They used to call it special effects, but there's nothing like they're all special, so now it's just called effects. He is the director of effects at LucasArts Studio for all of their video game systems. So whenever um, you see like a LucasArts game, uh, he does that. So the most recent one that he worked on was, um, oh shoot, what's the name of it? I had it and now it's gone. Uh, the Force Unleashed, where uh, it was his job to like anything, anything cool that happens, like he doesn't make people move, he doesn't do the background, like he makes like lightning shoot out of things and you know like lasers go and like it basically 
lightsabers glow. It's his job to do special effects, except he does it, you know, all in this graphical world. So when I was in San Francisco last, uh, I called him up and I said, hey, do you want to get together sometime? And he's like, yeah, do you want to come down to the studio? And, um, you know, I can give you a tour and stuff. And he's like, and then for lunch, let me see if we can go to Skywalker Ranch. So let me just fill you in on how cool this is. Um, I went down to... I went down to the studio, and I'm waiting for him in the lobby. And there in the lobby is, like, every piece of legendary anything prop-wise that you could possibly imagine. So, like, all of the original lightsabers you know, from the movies, the little um, thermal detonator that, you know, um, Princess Leia is holding in the, in the last one. It's got the... Um, you remember at the beginning of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when he, you know, sneaks into that temple, and there's the, the little... Um, the little gold head statue that he has to take the bag of sand. You know, it, like that little statue was just sitting right there, like blowing my mind to see all this stuff because obviously I grew up on, on Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Well, then we're walking through the hallways, you know, with this little key access car that can get us absolutely anywhere in the place. And we're walking down this hallway, and I'm like, whoa, 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 was that what I think it was? And he's like, I don't know, probably. And I'm like, we got it back up. It's the actual Han Solo frozen in carbonite is like sitting on this wall, and I'm like... And I'm like, I'm touching it. Like, screw it. I'm only going to be here the one time. So it's like, it's the coolest thing. Well, then, um, they like, Lucas isn't dumb. They know that Jar Jar Binks was not, like, the greatest hit ever in the history of, um, of Star Wars. And so one of the sculptors actually did Jar Jar Binks frozen in carbonite. And, like, apparently Lucas loved it so much they put it up right next to Han Solo. So, like, I got to see, like, the actual wood for the movie. So it was amazing. I just, every corner we turned, there was something else where it was, like, the actual something, the actual something. And it was just, it was blowing my mind the, the whole way through. And every, and then, so then we finished at the studio and then went to Skywalker Ranch. Now, Skywalker Ranch is where, like, George Lucas actually works. It's a ranch in, um, in Marin County. It's enormous. They've got, um, they've got this one building there called The Archives, and nobody is allowed in The Archives because The Archives has, like, all of the actual... Um, it, it, it has all of the actual um, vehicles and things. So there, like, are actual, like, TIE fighters and X-wings and speeders, and, you know, all of that is just saved in this enormous warehouse on the property. But Lucas works in this Victorian-style home... Um, on the property, and he works upstairs. So, like, when you become an employee of LucasArts, you have to actually sign a piece of paper saying, I will never walk upstairs. I am aware that if I walk upstairs, it is grounds for termination. I'm allowed to give tours. I'm allowed to take people places, but I cannot walk upstairs. Like, you're not allowed to go up the stairs, basically. Um, but... We're walking around. We're, we're walking around the campus. We're walking around the stuff, and there's like you know Indiana Jones whip and hat, and you know like I'm just going nuts because I was a huge Indiana Jones fan. One of the reasons I became an archaeology major. And we go, and he, and so we're walking through this building, and he's like, "Oh, I've never been in here before," and he told me about the whole getting fired for walking up the stairs thing. And everywhere we turn, I kept thinking to myself, "Dude, we're we're in trouble. Like I, like we are somewhere we are not allowed to be," and yet. That wasn't the case because he had this card, and the card would let him go absolutely anywhere that he wanted to. And I did not have the card, and I was with him. But I kept thinking to myself the entire time, we're going to get caught. He's going to get in trouble. He's going to lose his job because we're going to be somewhere that we're not supposed to be. Somebody's going to find us. Some stormtrooper is going to come around the corner and arrest us. Like, I know this is going to happen. And yet, 
we actually could go anywhere we wanted to. And when we went to places that he'd never been to before, people would introduce themselves and say, oh, yeah, I saw your work. That was great. I do blah, 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 blah. And everywhere that I thought we couldn't go, he was actually allowed to go because he was an insider in the world of LucasArts. Now, when I read through the biographies of Jesus, we also call them the Gospels, written by guys Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I, I, I realize that there as I'm reading through them, that there are people who seem to have that sort of key card access in the kingdom of God. The, the, the kind that Jesus is as close to as anybody else. And, and it's not like these guys get just a little bit of Jesus. They, they, get, they can go anywhere they want to. It seems that there's nothing that they can't do. There's no question that they can't ask. There, there's nothing at all withheld from them. In fact, Jesus says, you know, towards the end of this, his life, you know, you've called me Master and Lord, and that's good for, you know, that's what I am. But then he says later on, now I call you friends, because friends know their master's business, and you know my business. But not everybody who heard Jesus got that key card access. Not, not everybody who ever heard Jesus speak was given the behind-the-scenes tour and so what I wanted to spend some time looking at is what does Jesus actually require of his leaders? Because I, I had this thought that maybe there was something about the 12 that caused Jesus to pick them and choose them to lead his, his church. Maybe there was some intrinsic ability. Maybe there was something about who they were. Maybe it was their personality. Maybe it was, I, I just wanted to do this research. What was it that caused him to pick those guys? I mean, so often we, we talk about and we hear people teach on how, like, they were just fishermen and they were a bunch of nobodies and they were potentially, like, junior hires or high schoolers. And I'm, like, I'm in agreement with all of that stuff. But I don't think, I don't think Jesus Jesus' point in choosing the 12 was just to show how amazing he was that he could do anything with anybody. I think there was something about those guys, which is why he chose them. And, and my premise to you is, I think that the thing that we will find today about the original 12, and specifically about Peter, that if we practice those things, if we become those sorts of people, that we can actually experience sort of that, that key card access in a relationship with God. And I think, that's the, I think that's what he wants out of his leaders. Are you following me so far? Okay, if you have a, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke 5. Dr. Luke wrote a biography of Jesus. He was a Gentile, a non-Jew, so Luke has more written about Gentiles and Jesus' interaction with people who are non-Jewish than any other biography of Jesus. He talks more about women than any other biography of Jesus, and he talks about the poor more than any other biography of Jesus. Luke was very interested in, in the marginalized because he was marginalized as a Gentile follower of Jesus, and so he was very interested in tracking down stories of Jesus where people were marginalized. That's just gravy. That, that was free. That has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. Here we go. Luke 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is just another name for the Sea of Galilee, 
With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Simon is the other name of Peter. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Was it important? Valuable? Causing us danger? Let's keep going. (laughs) I just want to make sure. Wasn't on fire or anything? Okay. Then when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. A little bit of sarcasm there, Peter. Well done. (laughs) When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Cool story. Yeah? I think, um, I, I think in this story are the clues for what it means to have that key card access with Jesus. I, I, I think this story contains clues about why Jesus chose Peter. There, there, there are things about Peter that we learn in this by his responses, by what goes on that show us why Jesus chose him. We have to infer it. It's not said explicitly, but I, but I think it's in there. <clears throat> so there's two boats sitting on the shore. And Jesus says to himself, there's people crowding around. They can't hear. I need a little bit of distance. I need to get in one of the boats. And so he walks down. He gets in one of the boats. It belongs to Simon. And he says, put out a little bit from shore. All right? What did Peter do that made him a disciple? I mean, it, it, think about that. He doesn't necessarily know who this guy is. Maybe, maybe he's heard about Jesus' reputation at this point. Maybe, maybe he even knows Jesus by name. But I think there's something going on here that points to why Peter is a leader and the initial leader in the church. You see, the, the, the first thing in this sort of progression that takes place in this passage is that Peter made himself available. The, the, the first thought I had is that, that Peter was available. When Jesus got into the boat, you know what Peter could have done? Hey, get out of my boat. Yes? I just, I'm washing these nets. Buddy, get out of the boat. I've been listening to you up there, yap, 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 whatever, take off. Peter was available. He was listening to this guy, something about him, something about Jesus caught Peter so that he was willing to make himself available. 90%, this is just a guess, top of my head, 85% of all statistics are made up on the spot. This is one of them. My guess is 90% of people Don't follow Jesus because right here, they're just not available. They're just not making themselves available. Now, sometimes the circumstances surrounding them prevent them 
But my guess is, especially in a place that's reached, especially in a place where followers of Jesus are crawling around all over the place, most people just aren't even available to hear. They don't even have enough room in their life to be able to understand. So then, of course, my, my, my question for you to chew on is, right now, are, are you available enough for what God would have next for you? When I asked before, if you're a leader, some of you said no. Are you, are you really available if God wants you to lead? Are you available for the next thing that God might have for you? Because I, I don't think you get that key card access in the kingdom of God without being available. All right. Look back in verse 4. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat who came to help them. They began to fill both boats so full that they began to sink. I want you to hone in on verse 5. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Let me, let me highlight one phrase in there. It will change your life. We haven't caught anything all night, but because you say so, I will. See those words? Think about those words for a second. I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing. You are a rabbi, and rumor has it, a woodworker. You don't know what you're doing. I have worked hard all night. I have been cleaning these nets. The passage says so. Now you have gotten into my boat. You don't know anything about fishing because you're going out in the middle of the day instead of in the evening or in the morning, which is the best time to catch fish on the Sea of Galilee. And you were telling me to let down the nets that I have cleaned. Yes, we see how absurd this is. Everybody got how big of a deal this is? And then he says, we've worked hard. He's a little sarcastic. I appreciate that about Peter. But then he says, but because you say so, I will. Underline that, highlight that, put a star on it in your Bible. Because you say so, I will. I, I, honestly, I think this might be the most dangerous passage in all of scriptures. I think it might be the most dangerous prayer in all of scripture. God, because you say so, I will. A girl named Agnes prayed this prayer. She was working in India, in Calcutta. And God said, I want you to actually start a whole order for other women to work with people who are, who are destitute, who are left for nothing. We know her now as Mother Teresa. She simply prayed this prayer, God, because you say so, I will. This guy named Shane Claiborne, you guys know the name? Yeah. He um, wrote a really, a, a really great book called Irresistible Revolution. Guy has everything going for him in college. And he, he's going to school in Philadelphia, and he's like, you know what? I really don't want to get a great job. I really don't want to, you know, go do ministry in some big church somewhere. What if we just, like, all got together and, like, lived in a house among poor people and just did nothing but serve the poor for the rest of our lives? Because he prayed this prayer. God, because you say so, I will. 
there's um, this idea of a backstage pass in the kingdom of God. I, I, will, I will tell you right now, I am completely certain of it. You, you will have every opportunity to follow Jesus if you want to, okay? You, you, you can follow him. You can live a very content life for the rest of your life. But if you want to be like one of the disciples, if you want to have that sort of backstage pass, if, if you want to be a real leader in the kingdom of God, it will be withheld from you. You will not be allowed to lead if you are not willing to pray the prayer because you say so, I will. First thing you need to be is available. Second thing, you need to be able to submit. You need to be able to follow directions. You, you will never be allowed to lead unless you can follow first, ever. I don't see any evidence of that at all in the scriptures where people are called to leave before they're ever asked to follow. You can be president of the United States and not know how to follow. You can be the president of a major corporation. You can be the principal of a school. You can have all sorts of leadership positions in society. But in the kingdom of God, there will always be somebody who you are required to follow, and their name is Christ. And so you will never lead in the kingdom of God until you're willing to shut up and follow directions, ever. It's just reality. Which sucks sometimes, doesn't it? All right, let me keep reading. Verse 6. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, so they signaled their partners in the other boat. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. There, there, there's, two, there's two pieces here, two steps in one. Uh, I'm calling it Peter recognizes himself, and he recognizes Jesus. If you want to have a, a backstage pass in the kingdom of God, if you want to be a, a, a leader in the kingdom of God, you need to come to grips with who you are, who he made you to be, the junk that you bring into the equation. I mean, you can't really be a follower without understanding both of these things. But you'll never be a leader unless you continually do these two things, recognizing who you are and recognizing who he is growing in that. I loved, um, as we were going around earlier and you guys were sharing why you're here, I mean, what, almost all of you said something to the tune of one of these two things? I just want to learn to love Jesus. I just want to do what I'm called to do. I just want to be who he wants me to be. You're already getting this one. I'm preaching in the choir. Here we go. Final step. Keep reading. Middle of verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You will never be a leader in the kingdom of God unless you're willing to leave it all. We sang that song this morning, I surrender all to you. Man, that's easy to sing. Man, that's hard to do. I mean, I like surrendering all as long as it's like not my iPod. I like surrendering all, except, like, it's not, like, my comfortable house and, like, decent food every day. As long as it wouldn't require my kids to get sick or having to say goodbye to a family member. I mean, I don't, I don't mind leaving it all as long as all is stuff that I don't really mind leaving. Jesus has this tendency of messing up people's lives, doesn't he? It's sort of his specialty. 
I found a lot of evidence of this in my own life recently, where everything I have ever thought I wanted and was going to do has been turned completely upside down. I mean, you guys are already there. You're, you're, you're light years ahead of me. I, I had spent years with this really comfortable life and had spent, it sort of had set cruise control and then God goes and, and, and screws it all up. If, uh, for those of you guys from Colorado, you, you might know, I, I live in Highlands Ranch, which is like the original suburb. Like it is, you know, it, it, it's not even a city. It's a homeowners association that just has like 100,000 people who live in it. It's, um, it, it's this wonderfully well-planned community. Like before there was ever one home built, they could have told you where all the schools were going to be, where all the fire hydrants were. It's a completely planned little neighborhood. It's like this perfect little leave-it-to-beaver place. And I happen to live in the first house ever built there, like the original. It, I didn't buy it originally. It was built in 80-something. But like I, I live in the middle of like this, in, in this great spot. Everything about my life was so wonderfully set up. I was the pastor of a fantastic church. I had a decent salary. I've got a minivan, I've got three kids, I've, everything seems so nice, and then Jesus says, okay, you can keep the wife and kids, but everything else has to go. There is, there is no way to prepare for this. There, there's some bad news for you. I, I, all, all I can tell you is every time that you are willing to leave something makes it a little bit easier the next time. But other than that, there's no, there's no way exactly to prepare for leaving it all. So imagine you're Peter this day, okay? You went to work. You worked all night. You're tired. So you're sitting by the lake. And cool deal, this guy comes by to teach. So you get free entertainment even though you're in the middle of doing your job. It's like somebody installing a TV while you're on night guard duty. So you're listening to this guy, and he's preaching while you're washing and cleaning your nets. And you're not cleaning any fish out of your nets because you haven't caught anything all night. So you're not in a great mood because you need to catch fish in order to make money, and you need money in order to feed your family, and your kids are important to you, and you don't want them to starve and die. So you're not in an especially good mood, and this guy's teaching, and he gets inside your boat. And he's walking up to the boats, and you know what you're praying? You're praying, please don't get in my boat. Please don't get in my boat. Please don't get in my boat. Crap. He gets in your boat. And you put out from shore because he asks you to. And then he says, let down your nets because he asks you to. And then you catch more fish than have ever been caught ever in one haul on the Sea of Galilee. And you realize something is going on here. Like the Transformers, he is more than meets the eye. And you recognize that because he is from God and you are not from God, you actually want him to get away from you as quickly as possible. Get away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Because every encounter of Jesus in the New Testament, especially after his resurrection, when he ascends into heaven, Every time we see Jesus after he ascends from heaven, people fall on the ground. I hear people all the time saying, I just want to meet Jesus right now. You fall on the ground like you're dead. That is what happens every time now that Jesus has gone to heaven. When you catch a glimpse of who he really is, there's no choice but to fall straight on the ground. That's the natural reaction to a holy and just God by people like you and me. 
So he, he falls on the ground. He says, get away from me because I'm sinful. But then he catches on that that's not actually the solution. The solution is not to get Jesus as far away from him as possible. The solution is actually to keep him as close as possible. So he leaves everything, everything, and he follows him. What's the, what's the hardest takeaway in all of this for leaders? As I've processed through this one multiple times before, walked through it myself in my own life, walked through it with other people. Honestly, I don't think it's leaving everything to follow him. I'll shoot straight with you guys. I, I wholeheartedly believe in you. I do. I mean, when I look around the room, I see you guys really are willing to leave everything and follow him. I don't doubt it for a minute. I think, you, I think you're getting who you are. I think you're getting who he is. I, you're more than available. You're here at YWAM. I mean, that's, duh. If I had to tell you right now, that the, if I had to guess what the hardest piece in this puzzle is going to be, it's going to be following him when it's really hard. I, I, I have no doubt that when asked to leave everything, you could do it. I, I think doing all of the harder things when he calls you to do it, following directions when the directions suck, reconciling with somebody who's hurt you more than you want to admit, keeping your mouth shut when you so badly want to speak up, following a leader who you don't think is 100% right but is still your leader, living with a roommate who drives you absolutely up the wall, befriending somebody who you really don't want to. It, it, I have no doubt, I have no doubt that if called upon to leave everything, you would leave everything. But when called upon to do the really hard thing, to simply obey, for most of us who lead, for most of us who are passionate about what we do when it comes to following Jesus, that, that's the hard part. So we're... Um, like I said, this whole week, we're, we're, gonna, we're not just going to talk about this stuff. We're going to do it, all right? So you ready for this one? We're going to practice obedience. We're going to play a game of Simon Says, and I am Simon, and I'm only going to say one thing. It's going to suck, and it now feels kind of corny, but it's too late. I'm in this deep. We're going for it. <clears throat> Simon Says, as an act of obedience to me, as an act of actually practicing something that you don't like to do, don't want to do, but need to practice simply because, we are all, staff included, going to go and clean our rooms. Not because we enjoy cleaning our rooms, not because they are especially dirty, because it sucks to clean our rooms. That is why we're going to go clean them. Because I, the leader, have asked you to clean your room, and even if it's clean, I mean, over the top clean then. I want things folded. I, 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 I mean like ridiculously clean if it's already clean. We're actually going to go practice obeying. We're going to practice doing things that we don't want to do because perhaps in the practicing, we will actually, the next time we are called upon by our Savior and Lord to obey, we'll already be practiced to do the sort of thing that we might not be interested in doing but are actually called on to do. Fair deal? You can hate me tomorrow. All right, we got to go clean our rooms. I'll be by to check on how clean your room is slightly before noon. All right? You have 43 minutes to clean.